So today I'm beginning a new series of sermons um, in, entitled The Resurrected Life, Community, Friendship, and the Work of the Holy Spirit. And in this sermon series, we're recognizing that community is not just a gift of God, but it's actually how God created us to live. If I were to give a subtitle to the sermon title with its subtitle, it, it would be learning to love well, because that's what we're going to talk about a lot in this series. It's going to be a series that I think is, is important and helpful, not only for the greater community life, but within all of our relationships as we talk about love and how to love well. There'll be a lot that's practical about this series, but we start the series today more theological. I'm kind of laying the theological foundation for what becomes more practical in the weeks to come. So with us starting more theological, we definitely should start with prayer. So let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto thee, O Lord our God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Trees are important to us. As children, we climbed in them. As adults, we take comfort in their shade. We awe at the marvel of their beauty during the changes of seasons. We use them for lumber to build our homes. And probably most all of us can picture like favorite trees. For me, I love aspen trees. I love the sound of the breeze through the aspen leaves. It sounds almost like a wind chime uh, to me. But I especially love ponderosa pines. I've always loved ponderosas. And on our property up in Zion, we have ponderosas that are three or 400 years old, which, when it comes to trees, isn't necessarily that long of a life. I mean, we think of how long a redwood can live, for instance, or olive trees, olive trees. The fact that there are olive trees in the Garden of Gethsemane today that were alive 2,000 years ago when Jesus stopped to pray there is pretty amazing how long trees can live. And we need them. I mean, they change carbon dioxide into oxygen so we can breathe, and we count on the fruit of, the, of trees for our nourishment. Trees are important to us. And because they're important to us, we often use trees as a metaphor to talk about other things that are important to us. And we see that happening in the Bible often. There's a lot of tree talk in the Bible. And a lot of ways that trees are used as metaphors. Jesus used the tree as a metaphor to help us think about the kingdom of God. Remember, he talked about a small seed that would grow into something large where birds of the air would take shelter in its leaves. The prophet Jeremiah used trees as a metaphor for a life well lived. You know, like a tree planted by the banks of a river from which it drinks deeply. And even though life can be hard, it never ceases to bear good fruit. Tree is a metaphor for a life well 
lived. Psalm 1 uses the tree as a metaphor to help us think about the importance of meditating upon God's word, paying attention to God's word. It's, it's like being a tree planted by streams of water bearing good fruit in our lives. But two of the most famous trees in all the Bible are found early in the first pages of the Bible in the Garden of Eden. Remember those trees? There's the tree of life, and there's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the tree of life, to understand it, we have to go back to creation itself. Remember in Genesis chapter 1, God spoke creation into being, and God created you and me. God created humankind in God's own image. God created us in God's own image. And God said of us that we are good. And God gave us responsibility for the care of creation itself. And in there is implied that we are created to live in community. And that becomes even more specific in the very next chapter, Genesis chapter 2, where we hear God speak and say, it is not right that a human being live alone. We're created to be in community. And that tree of life that we see in the garden, it represents for us living the life, a life the way God intends it to be lived, including living it as an us in community with one another. And it represents the eternity of life itself. But of course, in Genesis, we hear about human beings walking away from that tree, but the tree of life doesn't disappear from scriptures after that. The prophets foretell a time. Ezekiel, many times, points at the tree of life, talking about how it is that even though we've walked away from it, God is faithful to us and is always working to restore us, to bring us back to that tree of life and the abundance that comes with it. In the book of Revelation, we, we see depicted that time when Christ is returned. And we are restored back at the tree of life together. And there we hear that the tree of life not only represents how life's intended to, to be lived, but it also represents the healing that can come, not to just to your life or to my life, but healing for the nations, for community. It's a restoration, a return to how God intends life to be lived. But of course, there's another tree in the Garden of Eden too. And that tree is the tree of the knowledge of good and of evil. And that tree is often depicted as like an apple tree or a pear tree because the fruit on it looks delicious to eat. And you remember that story. We can't forget that story because we live that story out over and over again in our own lives. I mean, anybody here ever been tempted to do something you knew you really ought not do? And anybody here ever given in to that temptation? We, yesterday, yeah, we, we live out this story over and over again in our lives. So we know it. We remember it. Adam and Eve are dwelling with God in the garden. 
And God walks with them and talks of them along life's narrow way. They dwell with God, God with them. And God says that the garden is here to provide for all of your needs. And you can have anything in it, you can eat anything in it, except the tree that's in the middle of the garden. It's fruit, you cannot eat it, because if you do, you will die. And we know what happens next, because the very thing they're told they can't have becomes the thing they start to obsess about. Because we do that too, right? We don't like people telling us what we can and cannot do. We like to make those decisions for ourselves. And so they start thinking about that, and then they start smacking their lips in anticipation, and they finally give in to the temptation and eat that fruit. And with it then comes the knowledge of good and evil, sort of. Sort of, because whether they do it or not, they already had the knowledge of good. They were created in the image of God, and God said, they're good. And they were living a good life. But when they ate the fruit, they decided they were going to live their life on their terms. They weren't going to have somebody else telling them how to live their life. They were going to live it on their terms. They were going to do it their way. And we love to do it our way, don't we? We even sing about it. I did it my way, right? As if that's a, a wonderful thing to aspire to. They did it their way. And, and in eating that fruit, suddenly there was a fracture that took place in community life, in their relationship in community life. We see it immediately. Immediately, because the very next thing that happens after they eat the fruit is they start trying to hide from each other. And then after that, they start blaming each other, right? So we see that fracture start to take place immediately, simply by them deciding they were going to go, out, go, on it, go at it on their own. And that fracture wasn't limited to just, you know, between Adam and Eve. It also was between them and God. Remember, they started trying to hide from God. And then they started blaming God for the decision they had made. That fracture had taken place. And because they chose to live life on their own terms, it's as if they were kind of pushing God away, which meant that the fracture, was, it was inevitable that it would grow deeper and wider. Inevitable because it was dwelling with God that they had unity. It was as if God was the glue that held them together. And then deciding to go on their own, pushing God away, they begin to fall apart. And the fracture did grow deeper and wider. Which brings us to the world in which we live today, where the fracture is quite deep and quite wide. And to think about the world in which we live today, with this great fracture that's taken place, I want to I use a metaphor of a tree. So I want us to think about a tree now as representative of the world in which we're living today. And if we take a close look at this tree 
at its roots, what we're going to see is the roots are idolatry. The sin of the Garden of Eden. People deciding to live life on their own terms. To do it their way. And this life of idolatry, it can be summed up with a simple prayer. Not thy will, but mine be done, O God. That's idolatry. Not thy will, but mine be done, O God. I'm in charge of my life. I'll make the decisions about what's going to happen next. And where there are roots of idolatry that are in place in a person's life, community life is always fractured, always fractured. Because if it's about me, if it's about you, there's always going to be competing interests. There's always going to be competing desires. And, and, and community is fleeting at best. But then we can continue to, to look at this tree and see that how, out of the tree, Roots of this tree grows a trunk. And I'm going to call the trunk of that tree pride. Pride. And pride is similar to idolatry. Idolatry focuses our selfishness toward God. It's about me, God, not about you. Pride focuses our selfishness toward other people. It's about my life, not your life. And pride, it shows itself in people seeing themselves as somehow more deserving or better than other people. And from pride grows walls of enmity that separate people. All of the prejudices of life that we see at play in this world, all born kind of growing off of this trunk that is pride. And pride always works against community life. Because when pride is at place, well, it's, it's, like, it's like we like to think to ourselves, I know I'm not perfect. I know that, God. But I'm a heck of a lot better than that idiot down the road. Loser. We start thinking of ourselves as better. And, and then where can community, how can community ever develop when it's clear that there are people who belong and there are people who do not belong? There are people who are worthy and there are people who are not worthy. Pride always draws a line that separates people. And when we are the ones who are guilty of pride, what we do is we draw a line that separates us from others. We separate ourselves from community itself, from what God intends. Now, from this trunk of pride grows some limbs, and I'm going to name just three of them today. One of those limbs is I'm going to call the hyper-individualism of our time, and this is rampant in our culture today. It's the belief that, that nobody has the right to infringe upon my freedom. It's the decision that, or it's, it's, it's living, believing that we make decisions based upon what's best for me, not what's best for us. 
We see this kind of hyper-individualism everywhere in our culture today. And it prevents community. How can there be community if life is only about me? A second branch that grows off of this trunk of pride is greed. Greed. And of course, we all know what greed is. It's that, that, you know, making stuff more important in our lives than maybe it ought to be. And and any kind of satisfaction that's going to come from stuff is always fleeting at best, which means our appetite for more can never really be satisfied. And greed always works against community because... Greed is all about taking, but what's required for community is the opposite. It's about giving, about giving. A third branch on this trunk of pride is fear, fear. And, and I'm not talking about rational fear here. There are some times where maybe we ought to be afraid. We do well to show appropriate reverence to a rattlesnake, for instance, but there's a whole lot of fear and that's a place in our world today, which is irrational fear. And it actually works against the possibility of community. Fear of the other keeps people at arm's length. Fear of rejection keeps people at arm's length. Fear is isolating. It results in us feeling lonely. And as we think about the world in which we live, we can see these things that I'm talking about. We see lots of selfishness. We can see that. We see lots of greed. We can see it. We we see lots of fear at place. And we see divisions all over the place. These walls that are built to separate people. Some people think of themselves as better than other people. We see this all over the place. What we do not see very often, what we do not see is community. People, different kinds of people gathering together as one body where the differences are celebrated and embraced and where people are welcome to join in, where all are are loved and all are valued and all are important. We don't see that very often at all in our world today. We try to live that here. We try to live that. And sometimes we do a better job than other times. We're not perfect at it. To think we're perfect at it would be pretty prideful, really. right? But we try to live that way because we know that there is a different way to live than what we see being lived out all around us. And that different way to live is called the resurrected life. Resurrected life. Jesus taught us about that throughout his ministry using the language of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is at hand, he would say. And he demonstrated for us this kingdom of God kind of life, this resurrected life. And the way he lived and what he taught as he showed us and taught us about loving God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength and, and loving 
our neighbors, as we love ourselves, and how to let that love be our guide, the very air that we breathe in our lives. Forty days after Jesus was resurrected from the dead, he gathered together with his disciples one last time before ascending to heaven. And at that moment, Jesus told them to wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon them. And so they waited. And ten days later, Jesus promised to them that the Spirit was fulfilled. The Spirit came upon them, giving them power and authority to carry the mission forward. But that's not all the Spirit did for them. Because remember, this Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of God, that Spirit which holds together the, 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 the unity of the Trinity itself, this Spirit came upon the disciples to dwell with them, like in the garden when God dwelled with the people, to dwell with them in order to, to bind them together in unity as a people to be the glue that would hold them together. And so together, they then went out in the streets of Jerusalem and they preached Christ crucified and risen from the dead. And people believed and they were baptized. And what happened after that? Did those folks who believed and were baptized just go back to their own individual lives? The book of Acts tells us, no. They formed community. Because that's what the Spirit does. It forms community. And so they started meeting together daily, the Scripture said. They met together to pray, to praise God. They met together for fellowship, for the breaking of bread. And they even went so far as if somebody was in need in the community, others would sell things in order to give of themselves. So everybody had what they needed. Community. The kind of community we are created to live. I mean, if I'm going to depict this kind of community using the metaphor of a tree, the tree looks really different. Instead of roots of idolatry with a trunk of pride and branches of, of that, that kind of individualism and greed and fear, this tree that represents the resurrected life, the tree of life itself, it looks very different. It's nurtured by the Holy Spirit. Its roots are roots of love. Growing from those roots, the trunk of humility. And then branching out, that celebration of diversity, the embracing of differences, a sense of mutuality, that we belong together, and, and forgiveness and mercy. These are the things of resurrected life. It's a life to which we are called as Christians to live. And it's not easy to live it because we do live in this fractured world. I mean, it is fractured. But the reality is that when we get it right, when we're able to live this kind of resurrected life, how we live with one another becomes one of our greatest witnesses to this world of what is possible because of what Christ Jesus has done for us. We can live the life we were intended to live 
But that is not a life in isolation. That is a life with sisters and brothers in community with one another. Well, there's a whole lot more to talk about with this. So this is just kind of laying the theological groundwork for the series that follows. We'll get more practical as we get into the messiness of love in the weeks to come. But for now, we know we live in a broken world. And we know we have a high calling to live a different kind of life. And we know that we don't do it alone, that the Holy Spirit is present with us, equipping us to be able to be faithful. And so we give thanks and praise to Almighty God. Amen? Amen. Amen.